Teaching Journey Podcast acknowledges the traditional custodian of the country and pay our respects to the elders past and emerging and recognizes their continuing connections to the land, waterways and community. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. This episode was recorded on the Wurundjeri land. Hi everyone, you are listening to Teaching Journey Podcast, Connecting Through Early Education, Episode 9. In this episode, I sat down with Rachel McBrien, who is a Centre Director, Education Leader and Kindergarten Teacher in a Centre in Maribyrnong. Rachel has a wonderful perspective of positive outlook and highlighted that even she has been in the sector for more than 10 years, she still has the ability to reflect within herself, her team and her community and the openness to unpacking the practices and implementations within the Centre and Practices. This episode is slightly different to our usual introduction, and it starts with both of us talking about the professional development that Rachel had recently attended, and the discussion of the educational leadership position within the sector. I wanted to keep this episode as raw as possible, and our conversations went on completely different tangent than our usual podcast recording, but it really shows the authenticity of Rachel's strong, open and reflective leadership, as she talks about the thinking processes that entails in building her pedagogies. I've always looked at Rachel to be one of the most highly respected and well-experienced leaders in our Maribyrnong early child community, and I hope that by listening to her, you're inspired by her outlook and leadership style. So here it is, episode 9, Rachel McBrien. Enjoy. To be in a space yeah. with all educational leaders and the different, the variance between the educational leaders. So they were quite new to the role and they were quite experienced. You know, people saying, I remember when, you know, this role was first introduced and we were all like, what on earth is an educational leader and how do we define it? And kind of, but now we've got to a point where most services have, you know, either a job description or quite a, a definite role of what an educational leader yeah. is. Yeah. So it was, it was very interesting just networking with people and, and looking at different practices and different things that services offered. So, like, I think I'm quite lucky. I get five hours a week in my leader role. There were services that, you know, they're only getting one hour a week yes. or where they were getting it um, in a fortnightly batch instead mm. of weekly. So yeah. they might be getting four hours a fortnight instead of having dedicated time every yeah. week to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. And also that's also a lot to do with, you know, at leader role is such a new role. Yes. Kind of. And, you know, the last five years it's something that is brought forward and focused the priority on supporting and mentoring. (laughs) Surprise, surprise, that that's something that we need within our sector. But we don't have the time to sit down. And we know that the priority is to reflect and to have that sounding board of having that interaction professional pedagogical interaction so important yeah. but yet we don't give that time and space to do no. that yeah yeah and it was really interesting listening to some people who just that that doubting your own abilities first and they're kind of going well you know I've been made a leader of my center mm. so it was, wasn't necessarily a choosing for them it was either they were the most qualified or 
you know, they were the person that was full-time, you know, oh, who's part-time. been there for the last oh. one, two years. Exactly. And there you go, yes. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. they were, but they were doubting their own pedagogy and their own teaching practices. And, and then they were saying, and now I, I've got to be, you know, kind of in charge of yeah. or supporting other people's pedagogy and practices. And, and I'm not even sure exactly where I stand so that, that was interesting for me because I thought, well, you know, I'm at the other end with all, you know, I've been teaching for a very long time. I have a fairly clear idea of where I'm at. But my goal is more how do I meet people halfway? How do I still have what I would like to see happening in the service mm. but also be taking into account other people's philosophy and pedagogy and their practices as well? And their journey. And some people, they are not ready to step up. Or even when we talk about reflection, like you you know, you mentioned that you're really open with unpacking that for yourself. For some people, that is really hard. It's so vulnerable. It's pretty much opening themselves out and kind of going, actually, what have you done that wasn't so great? What were those challenges? And how you overcome that, that itself can be quite overwhelming for people. Yeah. yeah. Funny you say that because with some of the reflective questions you had sent me, you put what, what are one of the challenges as a teacher? And that was actually something I put, that to be honest about my weaknesses or the areas that I need to improve because we're so strength-based as a sector, we yes. try and be so strength-based, that to actually stop and go, well, what aren't I good at or what do I need to get better at can be really difficult. And I often, even I look back at, when I, um, how I phrase sentences for my staff. And I don't say, what are your weaknesses? Or, you know, it's generally, what are the areas you'd like to learn more about or the areas you'd like to improve yes. in? So it's still very strength-based. And sometimes I think, should I ask that question? Should I actually say, what do you feel are your weaknesses? What, what don't you do well? And how can I help with that? Like, what yeah. can I do to help you with that? Because we don't focus on that. And, and it's kind of a good thing that we don't. But that is a challenge. Sometimes you need to reflect on that and go, well, what, what don't I do very well that I could improve on? Yeah. 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 And it's also that adversity that you kind of have to go through that processes, isn't it? That, like you said, we always talk about all the great things that you do. Let's focus on that and harness that and, you know, um, give that a direction. Um, but yet, you know, there are areas that we need to improve on. And perhaps, I, I'm not really sure, but perhaps that's why people do struggle to fall into, all right, maybe this is something I need to focus on. Maybe I need to think about ways to improve myself in this area and the um, department where I just need to look for more professional developments and unpack that on my own. But often we don't look at it that way. And, and, and I get it. Like, I never thought of it that way. Uh, and I think because of the language we use around children as well, we want to make sure that it's our positive reinforcement, uh, really supportive, um, and really focusing on, you know, harnessing what they're really good at. But as an adult, are we, should we continue doing that? Should we continue or should we um, disrupt that? And, you know, let's really look at it in a negative way. But are we doing too much of that? And when we do so much of that already, you know, you've got your imposter syndrome telling you, 
that you're not good enough, you can't do this, and you 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 know you don't deserve that leadership position, or you know like what you said, um, you know I'm the only one that's qualified. They've got no choice to hire me, and so I'm in put in this position uh, with no resources, with no um, knowledge or understanding of what educational leader looks like. But also you know you've got a guideline, and the guideline is pages and pages long of things that you should be doing as a leader and as a mentor and as uh, you know a knowledgeable one but what if you're not knowledgeable that's right and you shouldn't be right <laughs> like yeah. there should be gaps for you to open and discover and yet it's just so overwhelming um but yeah i've never thought of it that way that what should we do around it um yeah yeah no i i agree and one uh, you know one thing that I've been thinking a little bit about is um, I'd gone to listen to someone speak and they had said to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. And I thought, oh, that's such a lovely phrase. Like I'm going to keep that and I wrote it down and, and I put it in a space where I could see it regularly. And I thought that is so true. Sometimes we have to be comfortable with feeling a little bit uncomfortable. That's it. It's okay to feel a little bit of uncomfort, but it's how we then deal with being uncomfortable. So what what, what is it that um, is making us uncomfortable? How do we deal with it? Is it something we can deal with? Is it something that we need help with? But yeah, that was a really good quote for me, I felt, to really make me reflect a little bit more. Is what, what is it that I feel uncomfortable about? And how, how do I deal with that, that feeling of, being uncomfortable yeah. how do I deal with that and you know I feel like I've generally I'm quite positive as a person and and I see the good in everything and I, I very rarely see the bad in things so it's not I don't find it too hard but for some people who don't always see the good in everything or, or you know maybe earn more on the fence rather than the positive that, that could be really really difficult yeah like me I <laughs> I only harness which is such a a lot of work in progress that I've made, you know, that I've done for myself, I always see the bad in things. Like straight away when I look at things, it's like the negative. Um, and how it is that I am in a very unfortunate situation that I can, I just straight away focus into it, into that lens. So for people like you, and I know because I live with one, my husband's like that, is so positive, like, oh my goodness, that is so great, you know, we can do this and we can do that. And I'm like, no, 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 but, but what is, how about this? And it can go this way. And so I go straight into like the worst case scenario. And it's beautiful that you've mentioned that, that, you know, you've always look at, you know, this is an opportunity. Um, and how can I, you know, embrace this opportunity? Um, and, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about that. Like, have you thought about a situation where, You've been in that, you know, position where, all right, this is quite overwhelming, but, and it can be quite difficult for people. And you've looked at it in a really positive way. Um, and I can imagine that it would be an enjoyable experience, I guess, for you. Um, because for me, it can be a very nerve wracking, high anxiety, hand sweating, <laughs> heart beating situation. Uh, what is that like for you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I quite enjoy challenges and I guess that's something that keeps me motivated within my role and I, I've been at this centre, so I worked it out the other day, 22 years I've been here and 
had someone question me and say, you know, how can you still stay there? Like, don't you, aren't you bored? And I'm like, no, there is always a challenge. There is always something new and different that challenges me. So um, one thing at the moment that, you know, we've seen as a challenge in our three-year-old group, Mm. we're running a rotational model. So I did rotational models way back when, when I first started teaching and that then hadn't done it for years and years and years and then we're back in a rotational model. And there was some real kind of, um, I won't say negative because it wasn't negative, but some real concerns from staff about how is this going to work logistically, how is, um, you know, how is it going to work for families? Are they going to have a connection because the way our, our system works is that there's basically three groups of 11 so there'll be 11 children that are always together and then on one day they're with one group of 11 and the next day they're with another group of 11. So it was looked at, at you know, oh, you know, there's not that consistency. It's not the same children every time. Whereas I went, yeah, but isn't it great? They actually now know there's 33 children they know going into four-year-old kinder instead of 22 children. So the likelihood, so when they go into four-year-old kinder, they will know all the other children in their class that went to three-year-old kinder. And so already they've got a connection with, you know, maybe a third of their class before they even start. So that's right. You know, I could see the positive of that, whereas some people were seeing the negative. And same as, you know, with families. How are we going to ensure that families still feel like they're connected? And it's the same thing. Instead of having, you know... 22 other families, they've now got 33. So they're, they're, there's actually a bigger circle of people that they can connect with and they might actually find someone that they connect really well with that they may not have found if it was only a class of 22. So that's been a real, with the three-year-olds and the rotational, it, it, it has been a challenge, but it's also been a great way to reflect and look at the positive as well. We also had um, the other day we we were discussing with a a parent about enrolment and she said to us, oh, she's on our committee and she said, oh, I'm just letting you know that I've been chatting to the school mums and some of them didn't pick your kinder for three-year-old kinder because they thought rotational meant that they would be going on different days, different weeks. They didn't realise that it just means that that there's a rotation of children. Um, They thought that, you know, because our sessions are Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they thought that maybe one week you would go on a Wednesday and Thursday and the next week you might go Thursday, Friday. It can be very disruptive for a lot of families, yes. And we were like, wow, we we didn't think of that. We were just like, oh, wow, like why did we not think of that that parents might interpret it that way? So we've changed it. So we rang central enrolment and said, can you please not advertise it as rotational? Mm, yeah. <laughs> we changed all our pamphlets and flyers and yeah. so we took the word rotational out and we, we, we changed it to basically say we have three groups of three-year-old kinder. Group A comes Wednesday, Thursday. Group B comes Thursday, Friday. Group C comes Wednesday, Friday. Yeah. So yeah, that was a good reflection, but it was lovely that this parent felt comfortable to say, hey, we've been talking about this and this is why some families are not coming to your kinder 
because that this is what they think rotational is. So then we're able to adjust it. And, you know, we had a staff meeting the other day and we were, thank goodness that they did say something because quite often parents don't say anything and we could have been rolling along our merry way thinking that, you know, advertising it as rotational was a perfect way to describe it when really for some families it wasn't no. the perfect way. Yeah, and maybe it's worth thinking about that word rotational as well. What else can we, you know, describe that, you know, method of curriculum or, you know, structure of curriculum in a different way rather than rotational because it means differently to different people as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a really good example because I can – yeah, I can see how um, different, and, and, and this applies with a lot of things that we do that, you know, a word, a singular word means differently to different people. And yet when we don't have the opportunity to open up or put it on a forum and discuss it, we'll go on with our merry way and go ahead thinking, oh, this is pretty successful. This is working really well. This is exactly how I've envisioned it um, until actually someone interject and shift that thinking that uncomfortable and make you really uncomfortable and disrupt that you know perfect picture that you have and that can be really hard for some people too you know you could go around the other way and say actually no this is not what it is um rotational means this way if you, you can go about it that way um but yeah. you were really open with that um a, a different way of thinking and made that changes um and that yeah, it's really it simple. Yeah. It is. And it's it's something that I, we've tried very hard here to never look at anything as a criticism. It's, it's mm. always something to reflect on. So if when parents do give us feedback, okay, how do we feel about that? Probably another example we had last year was we had one parent. So out of our 99 families, we had one parent who said, my friend's kinder, they have an app on their phone. Why don't we have an app on, on our phone? And so we sat down as a staffing group and said, okay, how do we feel about this? And there, there was lots of discussion. But one of the main things that came out of it was that when we're in a classroom with children, we actually want to be sitting with the children, having quality interactions, talking with the children, um, rather than focusing on, oh, we've got this app and we have to have one photo and one reflection every day. So I need to run around madly and take photos and think of the reflection for today, which is what feedback that some of the staff had gotten from other centres. Oh, you know, you know, we hate doing it and, you know, we just take one photo and we just work with that photo, whatever that photo is. Or, you know, we take lots of photos and then we spend half an hour at the end of the day trying to work out which one's the best one to put in our app. So we went then went back to the committee and that's what we said. We said, look, we've reflected on it and we want to give your children the best quality education that we can and we feel that having this app would mean that we would spend more time focusing on trying to put st pictures and stories and things on the app than we would actually interacting with the children and teaching the children. So we feel strongly in our philosophy and our pedagogy that, that that's not going to work. But what we did do is say, okay, but we need to know more about why was it important for this parent to have an app? Was it just because, you know, her friend had it and she wanted to be the same? 
Was it because she really did want photos of her child? Like what, what was the reasoning behind it? So the teacher of um, the child, who's the parent um, who, who brought this to us, that teacher went and had a chat and said, oh, out of curiosity, why did you really want the app? Like what was the reasoning behind it? And she said, I love seeing photos of my child. And we're like, wow, we can do that. So her teacher then said, look, once a fortnight, I will send you a couple of photos of your child at kinder. And that's that's what we did with that parent. And it was really interesting because we originally thought that they wanted the app because they wanted to know about what the children were learning at kinder. And so we were discussing how can we make sure that we're communicating the learning at kinder to families without using an app. But at the end of the day, she really just wanted photos. And, yeah, so in reflection we went, well, we can't assume, can we? We can't assume what we think it is that parents want. We actually have to have those conversations with them to know what they want and not assume. Yeah. So something that started off very kind of small and, you know, do we do this, don't we, Um, ended up being a really great reflection in a couple of different ways for us, which was great. Yeah. And I think you've highlighted that, you know, all the examples that you've given so far, you've highlighted that um, as a leader, um, you've given the opportunity for your team to really sit down and unpack that as a team. It's not, all right, this is the way how I do it because I am in a certain powerful position that I'm going to make this decision as I see fit. But let's come together and let's come and unpack that together. What's beneficial? What are your thoughts around it? What's your, um, you know, worries or, um, you know, understanding uh, and pulling in all the research that we find uh, and knowledge about our cohort of children? Every year looks different. For some, you know, it might not work five years ago with apps because it might be an overwhelming thing. But for now, like you said, all centres use app. Um, And so when parents do hang out at the playground, um, they're looking at the gap of knowledge of what my child is doing uh, in comparison to their friends um, where everything's on the tip of the fingers. So how do we communicate that? How can we educate families? Uh, and let's discuss that among ourselves first. Let's be on the same page before we relay that and also advocate for children. You know, what do we want to ensure that consistency of education, quality education look like? Um, and I'm sure that you will also have that conversation two, three years down the track because it will come back out again. And let's have that conversation again and again. And it's okay. Rather than saying, actually, we've had that conversation two years ago. This is what we're going to do. This is the end of it. Let's not discuss it. Um, and let's focus on something else. Yeah, most definitely. And it, it, I love what you said before about knowing the families that we have. Yes. And it's something that I've always advocated for within our service in particular and quite often when we go as a staffing group to professional development and we come back and reflect on it the first question is how will it fit with our families and our dynamics at our service and so um, you know I kind of feel proud that we've always had that thought process of we're actually looking at what's best for our families and our children and not what is the latest 
new, you know, new research out there or, you know, but how do we apply that to our families and our children? So what works in one centre may not work in another. And we've, we've really always tried to advocate that at the centre and I've really always pushed that, well, what works with our children? Um, and there, there was a really nice quote that I picked up from someone at a PD and, and I can't um, really feel awful not knowing who said it because the person in the PD you know, basically said, I've got this lovely quote from someone and I didn't pick up the name. But she was talking about equity and she said, it's the right things for the right children at the right time. And I thought, wow, that's perfect. I've got to write that down. because, and, and it goes back to we know our families, so we know what's right for our children and when it's right for our children. And that's how we can assure that there, that there is equity for, for our families and our service. So that's really stuck with me, that particular quote, and trying really hard to focus on you know, what works for our families, but also our service changes too. We're, that's what we're starting to look at. The families are changing, our dynamics are changing did my data collection the other day and I said to the staff, where we used to be a couple of years ago, two-thirds of our families would be eligible for a kindergarten fee subsidy on healthcare cards or something equivalent. We're probably getting further down now to maybe only one-third of our families are. So our, our dynamics are changing, but what, why is that changing? Is mm -hmm. it because we have more families that might be newly arrived to the country? Mm -hmm and may not be eligible for healthcare cards yet? Um, or is it that our dynamics are changing and the area is changing and maybe we have more working families now than we did, you know, five, six years ago? So it's really being able to always know, always know what our families, our centre, what did they need? Um, I spoke to Central Enrolment the other day and, they rang me and said, do you have any vacancies? Has anyone pulled out? We've got children on the wait list. And I said, no, sorry. And Central Enrolment Officer said, we know in your area that families will sit on a wait list to go to the kinder that they want to go to because transport is an issue in our area. So having to walk from one side of the suburb to the other is too difficult and there's not as many bus routes that go from one side to the other. So families will sit and wait to get into a certain kinder because they can't get to the other kinders in our area. So it's knowing, it really is knowing our families, but then also too, because of that changing dynamic, things like social media or, or you know, we said one time at a meeting, every parent walks in with her phone, every parent. There's not one parent that we have not seen <laughs> walk in with some sort of phone. Yeah. And so we, we changed during COVID. COVID was really good for a reflection on how do we communicate with parents. And we said, well, they have that phone in their hand all the time. So if we want to communicate with them, that's probably the, the way we need to do it. So do we need to send text messages? Do we need to send emails instead of handing out handwritten notices? Um, you know, we always have our beautiful reflection and curriculum books that we spend quite a bit of time making look lovely for parents to look at. Do they look at it? They've got their <laughs> phones stuck yes. up to their ear. Are they actually looking at that? Yeah. So how do we take that and get it onto the phone for them? 
So it might be an email, it might be utilising our social media a little bit more. So it's been a big focus this year. How can we utilise our social media more? Families are telling us that they love seeing things on our social media sites. How do we make sure that that we have more opportunities for that to happen so that we're continuing that engagement with our families? So, yeah, it's lots, lots of changes, but it's about continuing, like I said, continuing to know your families and what they want and what they need and remembering, I think that's the hard part, remembering to ask. Sometimes we don't ask, we make assumptions or we... We say these are our dynamics of our community, so they must want this or that. Did we actually ask? No, we didn't. So how do we know that they want that without asking? And then too, what's the best way to ask? We, we send out surveys regularly. We're I'm lucky if a third yes. respond. <laughs> and that's me, you know, kind of yes. approaching parents saying, please do this survey. I need it for this reason or that reason. But, you know, they don't all respond. So I'm not, I'm not getting information and data from all my family sending out a survey. So what else can I do to get information and data from all my families and not just the cohort that takes the time to respond to my surveys? And half the time. Not all families have the time and flexibility. So, you know, those parents who stop uh, and look at, uh, I guess your documentation, your books and posters that you have, read all your emails and newsletters. Those are the parents who have the time. But we know now that, like you mentioned, the demographic and the dynamic of the area is a little bit different. And so how can we capture that short little snippet of feedback from families that we know what they're thinking or checking them in? That's a hard one. And I think a lot of services have that problem too, because I know I have had. You know, as many as, you know, weekly or monthly, hey, let us know what you think. Uh, you know, the doors are always open. You still get nothing <laughs> sometimes, you know, uh, until, you know, a year in and you're like, oh, actually, I didn't really like that program because this is what I thought. And you're like, oh, yeah. I could easily fix that okay. if I knew that that was what everyone was thinking. So, yeah, I completely understand. Um, and, and I think, you know, just going back to... Like you said, someone was asking, you know, you've been doing here, doing this for 22 years. Are you going to get bored? No, because there's so many ways, that, there's so many things that you never thought of. Um, you think that you've got everything down packed because you've got all the experiences, but actually you don't. Because every year is different. Everything's fresh. It's almost like you're relearning, unpacking and then relearning it all over again. Yeah. So it's quite fascinating um, to put it that way. And, you know, we're just thinking about why we're doing this podcast is for a lot of like beginners teachers, for example, or, you know, new leaders that are coming into new um, positions, you know, feeling really isolated and unknown. Uh, it's okay because you can be in a job, in a role for 22 years and you still be in that same position yep. as well. <laughs> <laughs> always learning. You yeah. Always. And I think... My mum my said this to me a while back. She retired recently and um, I said to her, how does it feel to be retired? And she said, I always said when I stopped learning things, I would retire. She said, but I never got to that point. And she said, so I changed it to when I can, and she works 
in a kindergarten as well. She did work in a kindergarten. She said, so I changed it to when I couldn't catch up with the kids anymore, that's when I needed to retire. (laughs) And I laughed, but I loved her acknowledgement Mm -hmm. of that no matter how old you are, Mm -hmm. you actually never stop learning, Mm -hmm. never. You're always learning new and different things. And because times change and technology changes Mm -hmm. and families change, there's always new learning. There's always something new to learn, something different to, you know, a different perspective or a different way to look at things. And I think that's what keeps us motivated and challenged. And and I love that. I love that part about the job, that it's never the same. I never go home and go, oh, my gosh, it was the same thing over and over and over again. There's always something different about nearly every day. You know, even my children, they're older now. And, you know, every now and then they'll say to me, oh, what did you have happen this week? Like, what was exciting about this week, Mum? Like, because there's always stories. There's always stories about things that have happened at kinder or a story that a child tells you or something that's happened to a parent and it just keeps it interesting. Like, the job is never boring. Like, and I think, you know, maybe that's too. Most early childhood educators are fairly passionate and they do they do the role because... We used to say we do it because we love it. I don't like that anymore. Yes, we do love it, but I think it's more because we're passionate and because we like the reward of seeing the children learning and growing. And at this young age, it's quite rapid that that rate of growth and improvement and development is quite rapid and it's beautiful to see. And it's really nice to step back and go, maybe I played a small part in that. Maybe just a little bit, but I had a role in that. Um, and, and being here for being at the service for this long, I'm also getting to the other end of, you know, I've got families of children that I've taught. Yes. And I haven't quite got a child that I've taught bringing their own children back yet. <laughs> yes. But I have, like, older siblings. Yeah. Like, they'll come in and they'll say, do you remember you taught me and I, I'm now bringing my niece and my nephew to kinder and I smile and I go, that's lovely. And in my head I'm like, oh, my gosh, have I been here this long? <laughs> but it's beautiful. It is actually really beautiful. We had one family where exactly that example. So this mum had come in as a mum with her, I taught her last child, of she had five children, I taught her last child. She came back a couple of years ago as a grandma because her eldest child, child, great, you know, so she was like, she was so happy though. She came in, she's like smiling and happy and like, first I came here as a mum and now I'm here as a grandma and she's smiling and so happy about it. And I was like, isn't that lovely? Like that is so nice to see that. To actually be here long enough that I'm seeing generations. Like at first I was a bit like, oh, my God, have I been here too long? Like am I getting too old? But now I just look at it and go, wow, this is great. I'm seeing generations. I'm actually now seeing the children that I've taught. I'm seeing them as adults and it's so nice to see, to hear stories about, you know, what what those children are now doing and then go back to kinder and go, yeah, actually, yeah, that doesn't surprise me that this child's doing that. They were a real leader when they were at kinder or, you know, they loved building things at kinder, so I'm not surprised that they're now a carpenter. Or So it, it's really nice to have that kind of reflection. I've probably gone a bit off topic of what you said no, initially. No, um, but it is something that, you know, lately I've been reflecting a little bit more on 
and just kind of going, wow, we're forever learning, we're forever evolving as, as teachers, as educators. We're always evolving and going with the times. And I just love that. I love that element of my work and it's never boring and it always keeps me interested, um, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. I enjoy that. And I think it's such a privileged position to be in, to be able to have the opportunity to see that growth and transition in a family and still have that connection. I can say a lot of us don't have that um, ability to be in a space for a very long time and enjoy and love and still hold that passion and still, yeah, just have that joy of waking up in the morning, coming into work and, and do something in your workspace that you've been coming in for the past 22 years. Because yeah. let's face it, we spend a lot of time at work more than at home. True. And that's the reality of it. <laughs> but, you know, to still have that passion still burning is amazing. And we know that, I know that we spoke a little bit about, um, you know, that a lot of people in the sector are here because we love it, but it's also because of the passion that, you know, continually to burn uh, and for us to maintain within the sector. But the reality is that a lot of people do struggle. COVID has shifted a lot within the sector and it has been really, really difficult for you know, our sector to maintain quality of um, education, quality of services, and in return, then, you know, we get staff feeling really burnt out, um, unappreciated and all of that. So what do we say to those educators who struggle, who are in that space where, I don't know, what should I do? I don't enjoy, it's like I'm coming in doing the same thing over and over again, and I know you're such an optimistic person, but... What do we say to, you know, educators who still have that little lit of fire burning in them, um, but it's in a space where it's unmotivated? Um, what can we do to help? Because we still want to keep these educators within the sector. We do. And I think that is really difficult when, and, you know, I have had colleagues that have been in positions like, and, and I feel for them because I think it, it should be a joyous role. Like we should we should be loving what we do. But there is situations where it does happen. And I think it comes down a little bit to reflection as well. So reflecting on, well, what is it that I'm not enjoying? What is it? Is it, um, you know, I had one educator say to me, um, she retired not long ago, and she said to me she retired because... She didn't feel that seven and a half hours a day was effective for teaching and learning in kindergarten. That was her, you know, she said, I've you know, I've gone from when I first started teaching and you know, she said we would have two-hour sessions mm -hmm. to extending out. And she said, and she goes, I got to six-hour sessions and I was okay with that because it was like a school day. She said, and when it went to seven and a half, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I said to her, I said, well, what is it about the seven and a half you don't like? I said, because in long daycare, there are many children that have seven and a half hour days. Um, so what, what, what is it that, that's concerning you about that seven and a half days? And she said, I don't know, I just don't like it. And so, but that just made me think, well, it comes down to reflect. It's it, reflection. I know we talk about it all the time and... When we have students come out, we like, make sure you're reflecting. And as a student, I was always like, why do we have to do all this reflection? Like, I just don't get it. But I get it now. 
I get why we need to do it. We need to reflect on what it is. What, what is it that's making us unhappy in those situations? And there's the whole um, what can I influence and what can't I influence? Is this something that I can influence and I can change? And if it is, well, let's do that. Let's influence it. Let's try and make change. If it's not something that you can influence or change, you need to then find something you can influence or change. So it may be you might need to move roles. You might need to, say if you're in a long day care setting and you've always been in the baby's room and you're really not challenged anymore, it might be that you might need to say, hey, could I please move up to the three-year-old room or the four-year-old room? I need a challenge. I need something different. Or it may be the service that you're in is not, you know, meeting your philosophy or they're, they're pushing you to change your pedagogy and that's not what you want to do or they're not advocating for families the way that you normally would and you may need to go somewhere else. That may be the choice for you. And I know that speaking with a lot of um, colleagues where they might have new management or they might be part of a cluster and they'll often say, you know, we get given these policies or these, um, you know, these learning experiences. We've got to do these learning experiences and it doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't meet my pedagogy or my philosophy. Well, then what can you influence there? goes back to what can you influence? Can you go back to that cluster manager or new management and tell them that this doesn't sit well with me? Can we sit down and negotiate something and compromise so that there's something that meets your requirements but something that fits better with my philosophy and my pedagogy? And if that can't happen, is it time to go somewhere where your pedagogy and your philosophy is valued? Because I think value is a really tricky one. I think you have to be somewhere where you're valued. If you are not valued, it makes it really difficult to be motivated. And, and I, like I feel fortunate. I've Most of the positions I've been in, as, you know, as an early childhood teacher, I've been valued. One role I wasn't and I left real quick. <laughs> but I, I think we have to feel valued and I think we deserve to be valued. I think sometimes we, we, we go back to the old adage of, you know, kindergarten teachers are nice old ladies. Mm -hmm. And we're not. We shouldn't be. We, we've got to stop that. We, we actually have to advocate for ourselves, for our families, for our children and for our, our profession in general, we cannot sit back and just go, oh, that's what happens. Don't sit back and say that's what happens. Get out there. Advocate for yourself, for your families, for the sector. And if something doesn't sit well, say it. Don't, you know, I, today or yesterday, I think it was, I got an email. We've got our next kind of um, network meeting for our area and there was a survey that came out and it was around um, the, the new, the best start, best life, the reforms, that's what I was looking for, the reforms that are coming through from the Victorian government. And, you know, there's some discussion questions about the 30 hours of pre-prep and what you think are the challenges or the benefits and things that they might have to consider. And I was like, isn't that great? They're actually asking us for our opinion. They're asking the people that are in the trenches, that are working with the children that will have to implement this within their settings. It's a disservice if we don't give our feedback, I think. Yeah. 
we can't then, when it's implemented, go, I don't like this. Well, did you actually give some feedback? Did you put your thoughts towards that? Because if you did, then, you know, hopefully there will be changes made that reflects what the profession as a general consensus wants from these reforms. But if you don't, if you don't give your feedback, then you get what you get, you know, and... Don't complain. Don't complain about it. <laughs> that's right. So yeah. I, I think that's something I've learned over the years that you've got to advocate and it's not just for yourself, it's for your families and more so for the profession and for the sector. We, I remember at uni there was a real, it's many years ago, there was kind of a real divide between long day care and sessional kinder. And I remember one lecturer and Margaret was her name, Margaret Clyde, and, and she said, we are all early childhood teachers, whether we work in long day care, whether we work in kindergartens, whether we work in family daycare, we are all early childhood teachers and we must value that role no matter where we are, what service or what setting we're in. And brilliantly put, and I think as a sector, we've got to keep remembering that we're all early childhood teachers, we're all educators, we're all working in the same sector and we generally have the same goals for our children and we've got to build each other up and not knock each other down. Yeah, we follow the same framework, we follow the yep. same, you know, we went all through the same universities and the course. We all have to undertake all of that similarly. Why do we divide ourselves and keep us separated? Yep. Um, there's no one right way. I have personally been in a long day care throughout my years of career. I've never stepped into a session of kindergarten because I love long day care because I can see the benefit. There are pros and cons to it, yes. but it works for me. Yes. And for others, long day cares might not work because sessional works better in terms of their philosophy and their pedagogies. It's finding about who you are, isn't it? And really about unpacking that. And I think for, like you said, like people who feel unmotivated, um, struggle to find that joy, it's about making the choice. You've got the power to make a difference, take action and take ownership of the steps that you take. You can stay in, you know, unmotivated space, but look on what it is that you can do. Find your voice, you know, advocate for yourself. And if you try really hard, you've got an option to move um, because there's a lot of other centres out there yeah. that would value, you know, your unique style. You know, I think I think that's a really hard thing to grasp for a lot of people within our sector. Um, and I think, like you said, it's about networking as well, you know, sitting among people and realise that actually there are a lot of other people with um, great support team and that's what I need to strive to look for, um, to work with organisations like that, um, because you know things change. Yeah. You know you can you know you can start with you know ten years ago with this new space that um, you really enjoy because you know the values are similar, the ethos and the philosophies are really in line with you. And management does change. Um, it's up to you to make those changes. Um, and if you are not happy. There are other options around. So um, I think that's a really important message because often we uh, feel like we are trapped um, and that's not the case for a sector. It's such a beautiful space with um, diversity and um, different ways of doing things. 
um, you know, as much as we've got a framework, that's a guide, isn't it? We've, we've spoken about this many times. It's just a guide. Um, it's how you um, see on different perspective on how you want to take it. Um, and that means that different services have different ways of looking at how the framework looks like in their practice. So find one that suits you. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah, most definitely. I, yeah, I have to agree with you. It's it, there. I always believe there's a, a right space for everyone. You yeah. just got to find that space. Yeah. A and space I, to belong. Yes. You know, um, and I think it's so important, like, you know, to be valued, it's like, and also unpacking what values look like for you. What are your top three values? What's important for you? Write it down. Um, because at the end of the year or, you know, two, three years down the track, it will change because you realize that there are other important things that are more meaningful for you. Um, and, you know, when, uh, you know, during uncertainty and, you know, when you're stuck, I always go back to, those values and kind of go actually am i making decision based on these values um if not then i need to do something about it and i think that's the hardest thing and we talk about opening up within ourselves and reflecting and being vulnerable with ourselves i think that's the hardest thing that anyone can do as much as we reflect on our pedagogies and um how system and management works um but yet we have a really really struggle with doing that within ourselves yeah. and finding space to do that. Unfortunately, that's the hardest thing within our sector because mm -hmm. we don't get that space, you know, and it requires sitting down and really looking at that and giving that um, opportunity for, you know, that mentorship as well, to have that discussion, that open discussion. Um, and, and yeah, and I know a lot of people don't have that um, privilege to be able to do that. So I think that that's something that, that I always find that doesn't matter how long you've been in the sector for, there's always someone that you admire or you look up to or that you have as like a sounding board. So, I, you know, I know that um, there's another teacher that she only worked with us for a short time, but I had a very good connection with her. I just felt we had very similar philosophy, very similar pedagogy, very similar teaching styles and a very similar... Um, advocacy, I guess, what we wanted for families and children and, and our willingness to advocate for it. And I know that whenever there's something that puzzles me or I think, oh, how will I do this, what will I do, I always ring her and I just say, hey, have you got five minutes to chat? And most times she does, which is great. And I just say, this, this is an issue that's happening at my service. I just need a sounding board. I need someone else's opinions or thoughts. And, and sometimes I ring her and I say, I'm thinking of doing this, but I don't know. And she'll say, that is perfect. Go and do that. And sometimes you just need that. You just need someone to go, yeah, you're on the right track. Go for it. And other times she'll bring up things that I hadn't even thought of. And I think, oh, okay, now I need to think about that. And we do it with each other. You know, she'll sometimes ring me and say, look, I've got this staff member that I'm working with and we're, we're, we've got a bit of a clash in, in our philosophy about this area and how do, I, how do I get her to see my point of view and how do I then, you know, make sure that I'm compromising with her point of view too. So I think that's important as well, have someone that you can talk to and it, it, sometimes it's not always someone that's, that's in the field or in your sector. I have another friend who works in... 
um, OH&S kind of work cover stuff. And I find she's really good to talk to just in terms of she gives me different perspectives on, on things. And I think that's important. Have people to talk to. And it can just be your partner. I know my husband sometimes <laughs> come home and I say, I don't need your opinion. Yes. I don't need you to answer any questions I have. I just need to get it all out and I need someone to sit and actively listen. He's like, right. Let me get, get, my, beer, get myself <laughs> ready, get my drink and yeah, get everything yeah, ready. Yeah. And he will. And then when I'm finished, yes. I go, thanks, I feel better now. I've got it out of my yeah. system. Thanks very much. Yeah. So I think that's important too. Have, have someone you can talk to, yeah. whether it be your partner to debrief and or, or if you need someone to give you some feedback. And I think we forget sometimes, you know, our contacts in different networks. Most people are happy to be the other end of a phone call if you need someone to talk to, whether that be your contact at the department, whether that be, you know, um, allied health. If you have school readiness funding, you know, whoever's been allocated to work with you, I'm sure. We've rung, I know we've rung our allied health um, person many times just hey this is happening can I have a chat to you about this just to get someone else's thoughts or feedback so I think that's really important too that you have your own little network and it doesn't have to be cult just colleagues it can be your friends it can be your family that have a network who you feel comfortable to talk to to debrief or just to say, I need to vent. Can I just vent with you? Let me get this all out. Because you feel better after that. You feel so much better than keeping it all in. So I think that's an important thing too. People to, so. to talk to. And look, I love talking. Yeah. So I have no problem with that. And I love hearing about what what's happening at other people's services. And I walk away sometimes and go, oh, that was really great. How can I implement part of that in my service? Or Sometimes I walk away and go, that person is really struggling. I'm going to ring them in a week's time and see how they're going because I know what it's like to be in that position. So I think that's important. I really, and that, if I had to give advice to, you know, students starting out, there's two bits of advice I generally give. And one is build a network, build a network of people that you can talk to and don't be scared to make mistakes because that's how we learn. And be okay with it. Be okay with making mistakes. Be okay with going, ah, oh, drats, I should have done it this way, but I know for next time, next time I'm going to do it that way. And I think that's hard for a lot of people, being open and vulnerable and also asking for help. Yes. It's so hard, isn't it? But if you try, take baby steps, uh, you know, it, it actually makes a difference to yourself, to your own mental health, because you're not holding all in. It's about, you know, yes, you know, I just need... A listening ear um, and I don't need an opinion I just need to vent out my frustration and then I can move on so that I can actively let that go yes and then put measures in place so that we can all move forward from it because as much as you know things do get frustrated for us um, but we want to try to work with it and so that we can just move forward I think that's really important um, rather than being in that little zone of negativity that just drags everyone down and drag the whole team down and then the children's going to be uh, impacted we know that that's not going to work and i think and uh acknowledging that is a really really big step so you've actually highlighted like really really important like mental health and you know well-being 
measures that we all have to do in place. Yeah, so yeah. good. Um, I am really sad that we are to the very end because we actually went on a tangent and we were supposed to talk about you. <laughs> and we talked a little bit about you, but you've actually shared a lot of tips and, you know, um, uh, steps and really great examples about, you know, working collaboratively with your team with yourself, um, measures and steps in place that you've put um, to ask for help, to reach out, um, and your years of experience and expertise within the sector, um, and how we advocate for ourselves uh, and for the children. Um, I think it's really important. I think people really need to hear that, that, you know, it all starts from us and what are the steps that we can do that, that we enjoy coming to work and that we want to find a place that we belong and we find a place that uh, we can make a difference uh, and work with teams that are like-minded. Uh, so when you come in, you can have an open, honest conversation about your own practices, what work, what doesn't work, how can we improve on, what can we do to make a difference for the children and the quality of the program. So um, I am so thankful and such an honor to have you on the podcast it's been a privilege um but thank you so much Rachel for your time all right thank you